Hello and welcome to From Beta Cells to Bicycles, the official podcast of the BC Diabetes Research Network. I'm Krista Lamb, and today I'll be sharing my interview with Dr. Brian Rodriguez. Dr. Rodriguez is a professor in the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of British Columbia. His research looks at diabetes and the heart. Before our interview starts, just a note that in the COVID times, we're doing all of our interviews remotely. So there may be a few small sound issues as everyone manages our new normal. Thanks for your understanding. Welcome to the show, Dr. Rodriguez. It's so great to have you on. Thanks, Krista. Looking forward to this. Wonderful. So to begin, let's talk a little bit about what inspired you to go into diabetes research. What was it that really was sort of pivotal to you in your career? So, you know, I was in Edmonton and I was doing my master's at the University of Alberta. And I was really interested in working with this really um, a top-notch scientist, John McNeil, who was at UBC. And he was working on the heart, but had just started to move into diabetes research because people who have diabetes actually have heart disease as a complication. And so I came to his lab to work on the heart, but then because he was moving into diabetes, I moved into diabetes and I haven't looked back ever since then. So I started in 1983 and it's been a long journey working on diabetic heart disease. And it's really interesting that you talk about diabetes and the heart, because I don't know that everybody understands just how important heart disease and thinking about the heart is for people with diabetes. So can you tell me a little bit about your work in that area? Yeah, so most of the people who have diabetes, you know, they have uh, lots of long-term complications. They have retinopathy or problems with your eye, problems with your kidney, you know, problems with neuropathies where you lose sensation in your fingers and toes. But really the number one cause of mortality and hospitalization is heart disease. And so, you know, it's, it's the number one killer. And it's really interesting because when you actually say that you have diabetes, you actually tell people that you're actually having cardiovascular disease. So it's, it goes hand in hand, diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Not many people make that association, but it's a very important association. So very many people who have diabetes, they have actually have blockage of their coronary blood vessels, but they also have an intrinsic defect in the heart muscle. So heart disease is a big killer of people who have diabetes. And so for people who might be listening who have type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes, are there things that you talk to them about to sort of help them feel a little bit more confident in their heart health or things that they can be thinking about doing? Yeah, most of my stuff is basic research. So we are trying to understand, uh, you know, why do people who have type 1 and type 2 uh, you know, type 1 is an earlier disease, obviously, because it happens around puberty. And so when people have type 1, they have it for a longer period of time. Generally, people who have type 2 generally are older and obese. And so it's, you know, um, uh, heart disease takes place a little bit later. So when I try to explain to people about, you know, especially when they have type 2, you know, this whole issue of trying to, you know, moderate their diet, uh, you know, in, um, have an issue uh, related to uh, to exercise and basically having control of their blood glucose. So yeah, I do mention uh, this, not because I don't have patients. I just talk to my pharmacy students and to my graduate students about the messaging that's important. In other words, you know, you really need to manage your diabetes to lower your incidence of heart disease. And so how do you do that? Especially in type one, you would do diet and exercise, but you would also have good glucose management. And of course, that also applies for type one. 
And I think that's really, really interesting. And you talked a little bit about having pharmacy students. So when you're looking at this through a pharmacological lens, what are you looking at? Are you looking at medications or therapies or how are you looking at heart disease in that regard? Yeah, so I think for, for the, at least when I'm talking to my, uh, to my undergraduate students, I teach all of the, uh, the, you know, the uh, pharmacological treatment of, uh, of that type 1 and type 2. I'm trying to emphasize how the drugs work. So, for example, in type 2, there's metformin and SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 agonists, all of the different drugs. There are, about, there are a number of drugs. So I'm trying to explain to them the mechanisms of how these drugs work so that they can then explain it to their patients who have diabetes. I think the, the important thing that I try to bring out is that how do you have good glucose control? Because it's only if you can have good glucose control that you can decrease the incidence of heart disease and diabetes. So to my students and to the, you know, to my graduate students and to the people in, in the community, uh, you know, I've been asked to give many talks in the community about glucose management. And so I try to emphasize glucose management because, you know, like for example, in the East Indian community, they, they don't think they have diabetes. They say, oh, I have a little touch of glucose. No, 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 no. It's not a touch of glucose. You actually have diabetes. And so you've got to manage it. So, for example, in the Asian population, you know, you have uh, rice is a big, um, important component of your diet. And, and sticky rice, especially among the Asians, uh, you know, uh, is, is important. But when you have sticky rice, it's almost like you're eating candy because it's very high carbohydrate. So in, in a person who has type 2 diabetes that is obese and is trying to control their diabetes, now on top of that, you're having rice which is very high carbohydrate and is adding on to that glucose, uh, lack of glucose control. So I try to explain, you know, the kind of the, uh, at 30,000, how do you control this disease, not only to pharmacological management, but also through, uh, you know, diet and exercise, especially if you're type two. So one of the things that you said that was really interesting to me was about pharmacists and diabetes. I don't think that everybody understands the role that some pharmacists play in diabetes care uh, in such that, you know, they may be a certified diabetes educator. In some communities, you may have only access to your pharmacist because if you live in a northern community or you don't have regular access. And now they're kind of doing this really complicated work of trying to manage so many different pharmacologies as well as giving good advice. And so is there anything you can say to people who are dealing with diabetes? about the role of pharmacists in that? That's a great question, Krista, because, uh, you know, when you think about the pharmacists, right, you know, they talked about in terms of the pharmacy and how trusting people are of their pharmacists. And so, uh, so really, they are the frontline workers. They, you should, people should really use their pharmacist for knowledge because they're really up to date. So that's number one. Plus, you know, when we're talking about uh, the management of type two, like we mentioned earlier, with so many different drugs and so many drug interactions, like, you know, if you're taking metformin with a GLP-1 or you're taking insulin with, um, there's all sorts of things related to hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. So the management sometimes can be quite complicated. So using your pharmacist as another tool in your toolbox, I think I really encourage that because they really know their drugs. They really know about the drug interactions and they really know about the disease. I don't think people uh, uh, use them as often as they should. 
No, that's a wonderful point. And I think it, I really just wanted to make that because I know you teach a lot of amazing pharmacy students and it's such a wonderful resource. And I know you also mentioned that you were in the office today because you've been working on some research things. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about the research that you're working on now because you have a lot of projects going on. What are you really excited about in your lab? So when we talk about heart disease, there are two types of uh, when we talk about heart disease. You know, heart disease and diabetics occur because the coronary blood vessels get blocked the process called atherosclerosis. So in other words, this is the hardening of those coronary blood vessels. So in this case, there's not enough or inadequate blood supply to your heart muscle. And uh, what happens sometimes, it, it forms a clot and it causes a myocardial infarction or it causes heart failure. But then there's another condition in, uh, in, in diabetes called cardiomyopathy. In other words, this is an intrinsic defect in the heart muscle. So this can or cannot occur in the presence of blood vessel blocking. So in other words, cardiomyopathy, unlike atherosclerosis, is actually an intrinsic defect in the heart muscle. So what we're doing is we're studying that mechanism as to how a cardiomyopathy occurs. It's a pretty interesting uh, phenomena where we think it's because the heart is not able to use the right fuel. So I use it as, you know, um, an example is um, when we talk about fuels, like, you know, you use glucose and fatty acids uh, or glucose and fats to produce energy for the heart to contract. So normally the heart uses 30% glucose and 70% fats. In diabetes, that percentage changes drastically. So in diabetes, now your heart starts to use more fats. It's a yin-yang thing. At the start, it's good. Towards the end, it's bad. So the heart using too much of fatty acid is bad for it. And it's that shift from the heart using 70% fatty acids to 95% fatty acids is what kills the heart. And what we are doing is we are studying why does that occur? Because if we can understand the process, we can somehow manage that, that shift in cardiac uh, metabolism. And I mean, that's the sort of thing I think that a lot of people would be very excited about, because if you can figure out how it works, then you can figure out potentially how to fix it. So is that sort of the long-term goal? That's correct. So at this point, uh, Krista, they, they, they don't have any drugs that can manage cardiac metabolism. Like if you give insulin or, or metformin or if you give GLP-1, those manage metabolism indirectly. What we really need to do is we need to have tools in our toolbox that can manage cardiac metabolism directly. And we don't have any drugs that can do that effectively. And so my research hopefully will give us an idea about how can we control cardiac metabolism directly? Because if we can do that, then we can shift that balance and we can start making the heart go back to using 70% fats and 30% glucose. In diabetes, you know, because there's no insulin or there's insulin resistance, the heart cannot utilize glucose. That's why it switches to utilizing fatty acids or fats. And so we want to bring that percentage back to its normal percentage. And I think that that is a really interesting point. And also brings me around full circle to talking about the BC Diabetes Research Network, because one of the things that's really interesting about the program there is that you're doing this all with 
collaborative means. So all of a sudden now you have access to basic science, working with clinical science, working with epidemiology and all of these different people coming together. So I would think that for your work, that would be really an exciting opportunity to sort of kind of take what you are working on and be able to collaborate with some of the UBC people who are doing work on heart in very different ways. And have you found that to be the case? Oh, Krista, I, I, can't, even, I, I can't even start to uh, bring that excitement uh, to, to my conversation about how the BCDRN actually helped, uh, you know, just in terms of the conversation, a large part, you know, because there are two things really when we talk about diabetes. First of all, how does it actually occur? So in other words, how does the beta cell die? How do you drop your insulin production? How do you become insulin resistant? And then there's my research. In other words, what happens after you become diabetic? What are the long-term complications? And so the BCDRN is a fantastic marriage where you've now brought those researchers that talk about how diabetes actually occurs, like the start, the initiation, to then once you have diabetes, what are the long-term complications? Having that conversation that I never used to have brings my research to a next level. So, you know, my, my research uh, was, you know, ex exponentially took off uh, when I joined BCDRN. Wonderful. And now moving forward, we're going into the 100th anniversary of the discovery of insulin. 2021 is going to be a really amazing and interesting year. What are you really excited about in the year to come? I think the important thing, Krista, is, you know, this, um, you know, it, uh, I use diabetes research as a, and a spokes and a wheel. You know, I'm just one of the spokes and a big, and, and, and you need many spokes on that wheel for it to move. And I think, so for me, uh, this whole thing of collaborative research. So what I'm excited about is that, you know, as the, the pandemic, not the COVID pandemic, but the diabetes pandemic, many people forget that, uh, you know, there are so many people that are, the, 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 the numbers are increasing dramatically. And so to me, it will literally take a village to try to not only uh, control uh, who gets diabetes, but also control the complications. So what I'm excited about as we move into the 100th anniversary of, for the discovery of insulin is, you know, this collaborative research and how do we, you know, as a group, so I have fantastic collaborations, not only within UBC and within Canada, but also outside. Wonderful. Well, I think it sounds like there's so much exciting stuff coming down the pipeline for your work. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about it today. And thank you so much for being on the show. You're very welcome. A anytime. You've been listening to From Beta Cells to Bicycles, a podcast from the BC Diabetes Research Network. If you'd like more information on the network, visit diabetesbc.ca. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe so you can learn about even more of the diabetes research being done here in British Columbia. Thanks for listening.